You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Carissa. I'm Steve. And today we have with us Steve from ATP once again joining us. Hey Steve, how are you? I'm terrific today. We've had like a, we've just come from a little meeting with all the staff out there and there's all these snacks everywhere and food and wonderful stuff that I didn't eat any of because I'm bloody health nerd like you guys, bloody naturopaths, you know. <laughs> we, we, no fun. We couldn't eat all the cakes or anything there. But um, no, it was, it was great. It was really fun. So I'm all buzzed at the moment. So it was good. I gave a talk this morning to some naturopaths you know, um, just out at Ipswich there and then we did a, just recorded a podcast. So it's been a good day for me. Sounds like it. So you didn't partake in any of the sweets that were on offer? No, I just did a line of Coke instead. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I just want to see Carissa laugh again and fall off the chair like she did there. Oh, I my God. I needed that. I just think, oh, <laughs> needed that one. So good. <laughs> oh, dear. Reminds me of the days when I was a musician and those were the days. Goodness me. <laughs> Ah, so if anyone has not heard Steve with us before or listened to the ATP podcast, then, um, well, officially I should say Steve and Eddie, but we will be re- referring to Steve as Steve. Well, you go by Steve-O a well, lot, Steve, I noticed in your Steve-O, emails. Steve-O, yeah, that's, that's what everyone yeah. calls Yeah, okay. Let me, let me ingrain that in the brain. So we wanted to have Steve-O back on the podcast to dive into some really interesting topics that also allow Steve-O to share a bit more about research. So what we're going to do today is have Steve-O talk about understanding research as a general person or a lay person and what we want to look for. And I know to listeners at first that might be like, oh, Jess, that's a bit dry, but this is really important because what we're seeing and what sort of brought about this concept of a podcast is that there's a lot of confusion which is I feel like getting worse and worse I'm not sure about the two of you but when it comes to people understanding what's healthy what's not or trying to do the best thing with their health and being freaked out that suddenly they're not doing the right thing and really to get an understanding of this is about understanding and looking at research a little bit more effectively so you're not pulled into the hype or um, a lot of I think the ways people can misconstrue research and in inverted commas uh, which I'm sure we'll see with some of these topics so in a long-winded way we want to talk about research but we also want to relate it to some really meaty subjects that you guys have asked us about um, that being collagen and who better to have with us than someone from ATP to talk about collagen. Uh, We want to hopefully cover animal fats and protein in general and the concept of how these feed cancer or can cause cancer. 
Uh, and if we have time, guys, we'll definitely also cover soaking nuts, seeds, legumes, and this concept of everyone needing to soak these types of foods and how that is better for digestion and is that something that everyone should be doing. So after a long introduction, I wanted to <laughs> hand over to you, Steve-O, to talk about research first and I you know, I'm, I'm guess the first thing that would be really cool is just for you to talk a bit about why you enjoy research because uh, I know it's a big oh, no. thing for you and yeah. what you've kind of learnt yourself over many years about applying research to the health space. All right, well, we can start with a, with a hot topic at the moment. You might have heard of the term misinformation, um, mm -hmm. which is a new term about, about, about people hearing something. Is it true or isn't it true? And also we, we hear that I heard, and I used to cop this, and this used to give me migraines from my students when I used to teach. I heard that somebody said something. Now, you've got to tell me what you think. It's like, well, well why don't you ask them what they think? So there's all this secondhand information and also... We hear that, that science is constantly changing. So we, we hear about all these terms and there's really only one way to get to what we understand as being what we call the truth, which is evolving all the time, and that's in science. And an example of that would be, you know, as you, as you pointed out there, like animal fats. You've heard that animal fats are bad for you, animal fats are good for you, and all these sort of things. And it depends on, and, and, and looking at research and how to understand research is a good way to, to understand what we call the scientific method, which is a method that scientists have used to get to what is true and what isn't true. So there is a method that we go through, and the method goes through things like, you know, having a hypothesis, testing the hypothesis using a whole lot of different testing methods, and then repeating the tests. And that's the scientific method in a nutshell. And using that principle, we can get to what we understand to be is true. Now, what we understand to be true can be changed. You can you can certainly go, well, that's, you know, that, that's old thinking, this is new thinking. And, you know, a, a way, a scientific way of looking at things is like measuring, say, the speed of light. In the 1700s, they measured the speed of light by watching uh, one of the planets Io orbiting Jupiter. And they came with a figure of 200 and something, um, you know, 1,000 kilometres per second. And, you know, it ended up being 300,000 um, kilometres per second. But... You know, it's a method of getting better methodology to test the hypothesis of what is the speed of light, for example. And the same thing goes for nutrition. Nutrition goes through a whole lot of evolutionary processes. You know, like for in herbal medicine, we, we started off knowing that, um, you know, astragandra was great for stress because it was traditionally used for thousands of years, and then we tested it, you know, and then we, we had conclusions, and it did turn out that astragandra is a great adaptogen for stress. So this is what research is good for. It's about finding out what is true and what is not true. And if you use this method, we are closer to the truth. It may not be definitive, but we are closer to the truth, and it does weed out what we term misinformation. So that, that's why, why research is really good. Yeah, that's a really good explanation. Um, when it comes to research, I feel like this is also where it starts to get really confusing for the average person because if we we all have access to online now and we can jump onto Google and punch anything into Google and find research in a very broad term. Um, even I often joke with my husband and since I've known him, I've paid him out about the fact when he's 
wanting to find out some information on whatever the topic is, something on his motorbike or whatever it is. He's like, I just need to do some research. And I'm like, oh, do you? are like going into your research <laughs> lab, are you, to perform some research yeah. on that? So I feel like it's one of the things that's important for people to understand is how to find reputable research because there's so much out there um, and I think it can get really overwhelming. People don't really know what they're looking at um, what's reputable, what's not. And I guess there's another layer of that as in when you're even reading research, because not everyone's going to read it. Let's be honest. They're not going to go through the full article. Um, Mm. is there some other tips of how we can look at research and delineate whether this is actually a really good study and something that Mm. is of value or this is a load of shit? (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. What we typically look for is scientific studies. And the reason why we look for scientific studies is that they are published. Now, when you publish a scientific finding, it gets what we term peer reviewed. So like if I wrote a paper on nutrition, you guys might look at it from an analytical point of view and make sure the methodology is correct. So for it to be generally correct, it has to be published. And so you publish these scientific studies that you mentioned, and there's many different levels of the scientific studies. And we call it the and I've got a paper here showing the level of, now no, no one can read this, but this is the hierarchical uh, method of, of evidence. And at the bottom there, as you see, is expert opinion. And these are all different types of studies. And the, the top one, the, the highest form of research, is what we call the meta-analysis, which is analysis on all these studies combined. So, you know, this is a very simple way of, uh, of doing the methodology. And one of these in here, for example, is a case series of reports. So if I'm a um, naturopath and um, I find that I gave a herb to someone and something happened to them, um, I could write that up. And, and that's, that's one form of evidence, but it's on the lower end. It's not exactly, you know, super duper high up, but it's some form of evidence. And then we move up here to the clinical trials where we go, okay, we're going to intervene. We're going to give a double blind, randomized, crossover, placebo controlled trial, which is the top of the food chain randomized control trial, where they give them something, they give the other person a placebo, which is like a sugar pill or nothing, and then you measure the outcomes and you you control the variables. So you only have one simple variable. And that's a good form of evidence. It's not always useful. So for example, if you want to know if broccoli is good for you, I don't know how you can get a placebo broccoli, but <laughs> it's very difficult. So um, in medicine, you get a placebo tablet. So some of these things, lend themselves to good evidence and some of them you have to uh, test. Now, the, at the bottom of this is what we call background information, which is what most people search for on Google, which is the lower end. And it even says background information and expert opinion. So that's the bottom of the evidence pyramid. The top are meta-analysis, which is numerous of these randomized controlled trials all combined into one. So it's very important you start off with A, published research. So you can look for published medical research on things like PubMed, which stands for public medical research, basically. And that's a start. And then you grade the the study based on this, depending on where it is on the evidence trial. And then you analyze it yourself with with your own, um, you know, your own insight. Like I'm going to show you a meta-analysis later, which can be interpreted many ways. So you then have to have your expert eye run over it to make sure it's legitimate. So there's many examples of evidence that that you think is meta-analysis and tested, 
but still needs to be put in context of that evidence. Mm. So it's a tricky process. It really is. Yeah, that's so true. Like that, and that's such a good explanation. We'll definitely put that table or pyramid up when mm. this goes live for people because I think that's great to see, particularly where people are potentially pulling, like you said, a lot of the data or what they're finding online and using that as like their sort of pinnacle of research and not realising that they need to go higher up the pyramid and what to look for. Mm. But, yeah, it's it's that sort of next level there as far as when you're looking at a meta-analysis and you're like, well, here's the summary, here's the conclusion. And I think a lot of people do just jump and read that conclusion like, right, you know, A, a equals B, they've said it here in this conclusion, but so much more is into how that study can be potentially manipulated as with what wants to be pulled out of that to suit mm. different people or different companies um, and who the study has been done for, who's funded the study. Um, are there some, yeah, I, I don't know whether you want to get into that more in regard to some of the topics we're going to talk about, but I guess that would be my next question. Yeah, is like when we're looking at maybe collagen's a great one to start with, like if we're looking sure. at research um, and we have a randomised double-blind trial or we've got even like a really good meta-analysis what are some of the key things we need to keep in mind when we're looking at that study to ensure we're actually taking the truth out of it and we're not being potentially, I know it's a pretty, you know, big word to use, but manipulated essentially mm. by yeah. um, whoever's put, giving it to us in a particular dialogue. Absolutely. Now, now in the papers they have what they call a, a COI, a conflict of interest. And so, you know, you, you'll, you'll read that in all these papers and it may say none to declare, or it could say, oh, I work for the collagen plant at some place. So you've got to be careful of that. And each paper, and that doesn't mean, you know, you've got to remember that, that most drug trials done by drug companies. And that doesn't mean the drug companies' trials are bad, but it does mean that they're subject to bias confirmation because, you know, um, for example, in a drug, a lot of drug trials, they may give the new drug, for example, let's just say, um, that, you know, like whatever it is, they give a little bit to 100 people and 50 of them react to it in a bad way. Well, they'll be excluded from the trial and they just do a trial on, on the next 50. So this is how a lot of trials are done. And, you know, it, it's a safety thing. But also it, it does, it's not written up in the trial that 50% of people reacted badly to this drug, even though the ones didn't, it had some benefit. But... So overall, you know, that would be not a great drug to go with. So you've got to look up the conflicts of interest. And in this particular study here that you want to talk about collagen, I know you can't read it from there, but it says conflicts of interest. And you 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 read what it says there, and, and it says here in this case, the authors declare no conflict of interest. So they don't have any sort of, you know, research that's there. No, no one's got anything to do with any collagen manufacturers in this particular paper. It doesn't mean all of them are like that because there's lots of collagen companies that have released papers and they're totally fine, as long as they declare that. You know, and when you're in a board, I've, I've been directors of, of companies, and when you are uh, talking about that, you have to declare your conflict of interest if you're talking about, you know, I ran a college of natural medicine, and I sat on the board of a natural medicine association. And so I had a standing COI with education because I educated naturopaths and we had this conflict of interest. So if I voted on something, it was, it was in the context of that conflict of interest, which is totally fine, but it's got to be declared. 
and that's the important thing. So when you read papers, just look who, who, who wrote it. In this case, it's just a university, so no conflict of interest. But this particular paper is on collagen. Um, and if I read you the, um, the summary, which at, at the front of each paper, there's a little thing called an abstract, which is about 200 words, which summarises this entire 20-page paper. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't read every single page on it because that'll give you the best thing. But if you're in a hurry, you look at the abstract there. And with every abstract, the final sentence or two of the abstract tells you what they found in the paper. So you can start from that point when you're reading a paper. And in this paper, this is a study um, saying the effects of oral collagen for skin anti-aging, a systemic review and meta-analysis. So this is a paper on you know collagen. And in this particular case, they, they looked at skin anti-aging. So they tested elasticity, wrinkles, and a few other effects on the skin. Now, I'll read the, the summary, and then we can take it from there if you want. Mm -hmm. So it says, overall, the findings suggest that hydrolyzed collagen supplementation can have a positive effect on skin health, but further larger randomized trials in this series confirm these findings. You always say that at the conclusion. You always say further trials needed because the science is never settled, never settled. Otherwise, the earth would be flat and, you know, <laughs> we, we wouldn't have moved on from there. Or would be. It was, it was flat many years ago. The centre of the universe was a place in Rome, you know? It's still flat, isn't it? So, I thought uh, it was flat. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, you know, but, but then, you know, we, we know that everything revolves around us from an astronomical point of view. You know, and then this dude called Copernicus came along and had this theory that, no, it all went around the sun. And because of the, the doctrine at the time, that if he said that in public, he would be killed. So he said it on his deathbed. And then good old Galileo came along um, with his maybe telescope, observed things going around Jupiter and submitted his findings and was locked away for the rest of his life. So you've got to remember, going against Dolomit can be quite dangerous for you. And now, of course, the, the, the secret's out. You know, we do go around the sun. It doesn't go around us. But if you looked out the window, the sun's going, going over there. It's going around us. So you have to look at it from all different perspectives. So it's very exciting. We all laugh about that now, but at the time... No, it's a good analogy. Yeah, true. So so this sort of looks at this study. So so when we talk about um, this, we, we can go, okay, well, that's an interesting conclusion, but what does it mean and, and what did they test and how did they test it? And that's where the methodology comes in, which is very interesting. Absolutely. Again, that's a, a really good summary of what to look for. And what, Yeah, that conflict of interest is a really yes. important area and as you said it it doesn't mean people can't be involved who no. um are relatable to whatever the study is it's just that declaration and that openness um sure. versus where to look as far as that and yeah that abstract information and how often do you find in the abstract and that conclusion like that sort of summary there that there's a bit of a skewed presentation of what might be if you go further into the methodology, like how often do you see variations between maybe what the paper is saying its conclusion is versus when you look at the methodology and you're like, yeah, hang on a second. Like, do you find that that's common or do you think majority of the time what you see in the abstract is what you get? It's really what you get in a meta-analysis because they look at a bigger picture of things. Yep. And when you analyse this down, it's only a certain types of collagen. 
that benefit yep. the skin and not other types. Because, mm -hmm. you know, but overall, collagen's great for the skin. And, and the other thing you look for here is, firstly, the types of collagen. And, and you'll see in these meta-analysis things called forest graphs. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that. And I'll try and show you. Oh, there's one. Um, but it's like a massive graph thing that looks like it, it's got a whole lot of, these are all the studies. And, and you can look at all the individual studies. And in this study, it found that it was certainly the dosages and, and all the types of collagen you need. And it was actually hydrolyzed collagen from a cow, or bovine collagen, which showed the benefit. And some of them didn't show a benefit, some of the collagens. And it only showed a benefit after four weeks. And after two weeks, there was no benefit. So you've got to analyze where it all came from. And, and this was published in, in, a, in a paper called Nutrition, which is quite a prestigious medical journal. So it's, it's pretty well written, this one. This is not a dodgy one. But, so, but it's very good, but you, you've got to analyze it. Now, I'll give you an example of something that's misleading. You ready for this one? Ready. This is ready a meta-analysis of animal fat or animal protein intake and colorectal cancer, okay? Does meat cause colon cancer? Conclusion, um, and I'm going right to the bottom. There's the abstract, going right to the conclusion, and we can, and this will raise some eyebrows. It says, the epidemiological evidence does not appear to support an independent association between animal fat intake or animal protein intake and colorectal cancer. So you might be thinking, oh, animal fat doesn't cause colorectal cancer. I'm going to go home and have a burnt T-bone on the barbecue and I'm going to eat that every night of the week, blah, 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 blah. And you'd be wrong because this is an animal protein study. There's, there's animal proteins like collagen, like fish, that are anti-carcinogenic for the colon. And then some of the meats they tested were, were overcooked steaks and those sort of, um, you know, bacons and those, those processed meats, which directly cause colon cancer. Mm -hmm. So you can see a meta-analysis is great, but it doesn't, it doesn't really, you have to look at it with, with an eye like you guys to be able to go, mm -hmm. well, hang on, what does it say? Oh, it does say that those processed meats are terribly associated with cancer because of the nitrates and all the other things they talk about in here. But overall, the fish drags it back to the normal where it doesn't cause or, or you know, protect against cancer. So you can see it's sort of, you've got to be careful with meta-analysis and, and looking at, at and reading the whole study. Do you have any tips for that? Like before oh, we get yeah. even further this into is, these, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like how people... Just listening are like, oh, Steve, that's like sounds really full on. Like, I don't know if I, yeah. how do I even read that information? Like, is there any, yeah, any tips? Sure. So what I do is if, if you got this paper and you're worried about it, what, what you then type into PubMed is fish, colorectal cancer and in, in PubMed, and then we'll come up with all the studies of fish and colorectal cancer, and you'll find an inverse relationship. Now, inverse means as one goes up, the other goes down. So as you eat more fish it reduces colon cancer. And there's an inverse relationship between fiber and colorectal cancer. And also, this is an association paper. Now, there is a saying in science, association doesn't mean causation. So you've got to be careful that, that just because something sits alongside something, it doesn't mean it caused that. And, you know, there's lots of problems that we have, um, you know, like, like, for example, there's more toxins in our water system now and in our food yet we're living longer. Therefore, toxins make us live longer. You see what I've done there? That's, <laughs> That's an association. Great. It's an association, right, but it's not a causation. 
So mm-hmm. association, that, and medicine's been tripped up with this for years. You know, we had this association between cholesterol and heart disease, and there was an association there. But then we looked at the fact that there's good and bad cholesterols and all this sort of stuff. So there's more to the picture than just cholesterol causes cancer. And unfortunately, it, it got skewed in, in, in the medicine there. So, you know, as I said, nowadays, we're, what, you know, we are living longer and we're taking more pharmaceutical drugs, for example. So another association is more pharmaceutical drugs makes us live longer. And it doesn't. Mm. You know, so more recreational drugs that we've got now make us live longer too, according to an association study. So you've got to be careful with association studies as well. Mm, good point. It's tricky, isn't it? It is. It is. That's why I think it's important to talk about. And that's a really good tip about just searching further in PubMed, like just thinking, mm. okay, well, what about this component? And then it, it, depending on what you're getting back, if that's like you said, like a completely opposite um, relationship that you're seeing, then it helps you start to think a little bit more deeply about whether that initial research is kind of your your gospel your your absolute um but yeah it is it, it is tricky and that's you're actually giving some really good tips here so in relation to maybe we'll keep talking about this because you you mentioned sure. about the animal fats so when we ask listeners about some of the kind of key nutritional areas that they're really confused about like and this this comes from I would say a, a section of the community, um, like your own listeners, very interested in their health, wanting to do the right things, actively eating whole food diets. There may be a spectrum of those from people who are just eating anything whole food to paleo to vegan, um, generally exercising. But what we're finding is that there's this fear uh, about certain kind of key areas in nutrition and well-being and I actually have had this quite a lot with clients recently where I just yeah I was like enough is enough we need to talk about some of these topics and go down this rabbit hole a little bit more because of seeing like directly talking to people and they're just trying to do well actually it's not even related to actually it is there's one option that we'll talk about I'll bring it up later with the soaking of the nuts and seeds where she was doing some beautiful things at home and had stopped it because she was scared. So something like animal fats and protein, as you just mentioned, feeding cancer, this came up a lot from our listeners. They're worried about eating protein, um, eating animal fats, and the fact that if they include that in their diet, that it is going to cause cancer. So could you, you already mentioned there, but What I'd love you to speak to is the research around this. And I think it goes beautifully off what you were just saying, like the nuances of like relationships and like saying one thing equaling another and us needing to look at what more is involved from person to person. Yeah, it's an incredible question. Now, you, you ladies watch the movies, don't you? Like you, you watch big blockbusters occasionally. You've heard of Mark Wahlberg? Yes. You know, that hot guy with the muscles, the, you know, you know the guy looks like me, you know, he's really good-looking underwear model. And, you know, Mark, Mark him up, Mark him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you're old enough for that, but you must. Mark him up. Yeah, hot-looking guy. There was another Wahlberg. There was, I'm, I'm not off topic there. There's another Wahlberg back in 1930 um, who, who discovered that what cancer, what actually feeds cancer cells. And he got a Nobel Prize for it in 1930. 
And what he discovered with cancer cells, pretty much exclusively feed on glucose. And we know that because it, we called it the Warburg effect. There you go. That, you remember it now. It's from, from Warburg back in 1930. And, and what he discovered was that cancer cells feed exclusively off glucose. And they feed off them and do an anaerobic process and produce a lot of lactic acid. And so cancer cells are fed by sugar cells. And when you're growing them in a lab, you feed them sugar. And, you know, they, they grow, they proliferate dramatically. So the great feeder of cancer is sugar. So, you know, if you're having a high processed diet of refined foods and lots of sugars in your diet, that is the, the food for cancer. So protein doesn't exactly feed cancers, um, but it depends on what you actually, because you need protein. We've got essential amino acids. You, you can't do without proteins. There's essential fats and essential amino acids. There's no essential sugars in the human diet. Human body can make sugars. But when it comes to proteins feeding cancers, uh, because we know the food of what cancer and we have for about 97 years now, we know it's sugar that feeds cancers. Now, animal fats have a bad name with cancers because a lot of people have these processed meats which directly cause cancer due to the additives or they burn them too much on the barbecue and you get other contaminants from the cooked meats, which can lead to cancers as well. Um, but it's like animal fats and animal proteins. It depends on the animal's fat. Like if it's a fish's fat, which is an animal, of course, that's beneficial for you. But if it's a grain-fed beef cat with high in palmitic acid, that's inflammatory. And while that doesn't feed cancer, it can contribute to it because of the chronic inflammation that can lead. So it comes down to it's a very tricky area in nutrition, and you have to be and you have to see someone like you guys to get the right advice. That's why I think it's important to 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 go and see a naturopath to get yourself on the, on the right track, so you can get the best diet for what you. And of course, as Hippocrates said, one man's food is another man's poison. So mm. you know what could be good for one person is good for another, you know, and so not so good for others. So it's a really tricky area. But as for feeding cancer, sugar is your enemy. Hi guys, just a quick note to let you know, we are now offering $10 off my cookbook Eat for JCN podcast listeners only. So there is a new discount code you can use, JCN podcast, all one word in capital letters. Head to the website, the link is in the show notes and you just use that coupon code at checkout and that will give you $10 off. Really excited to bring you this. It's a way for us to say thank you for listening to the podcast. And again, that is JCN podcast, all one word. Head to the website, link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. No, so true. And as you said earlier too, there's the differences to apply from person to person. You mentioned about fibre, like you've got that sweeping comment that maybe has come through some of the research that people have been looking at in this area or pulling from or seeing posts online it doesn't apply to every single person in the same way if you have a lovely whole food diet and in the majority your protein that you eat is from really lovely sources and you're not eating lots of processed meats um, every day versus obviously that standard American or standard Australian diet where it's like very heavy and all of those processed foods, processed meats, um, ch- you know, char grilling, um, trans fats, devoid of fruit and veggies. Like it's, there's so many other factors that come in and um, 
you know, again, that's where I think it's really hard just to pigeonhole and apply that across. The other thing I was interested if I, I remember when this came out, um, even in the news and so forth quite a while ago, I wish I could remember the time. I remember Chris were in the other clinic, so it was a while ago, but mm-hmm. there was a lot about mTOR. Um, and I had some clients coming in who were just freaking out, um, because it was coming into the news and, you know, oh my God, Jessica, you told me that protein's really important. And are you trying to kill me? I've heard about this mTOR and <laughs> like, I've oh, protein that I'm eating, feeding that, and I'm going to end up with cancer. So, um, yeah, I don't know whether there's anything that comes to mind from a research point of view, again, about mTOR in case listeners are like, what about mTOR? Sure, sure. <laughs> if, if mTOR stands for a wonderful long word called, well, I mean, what was called mammalian target of rapamycin complex, and there's ones and twos to that. Now, mTOR is, is required for growth in the body. Now, mTOR is, is driven from proteins, particularly leucine, isoleucine and valine. Now these are otherwise, and also glycine. So the branched chain amino acids and glycine. Now people say, oh, you're going to die because you're stimulating mTOR. mTOR is required for growth. Mm-hmm. And the guys that I was talking to um, after my morning move naturopaths are bodybuilders and all they're about is boosting up mTOR to get more growth and muscle. But mTOR can be uh, pathogenic for certain diseases such as cancer but it's excessive amounts of mTOR. You've got to remember that, that there's chemicals in the body that are there for a very, very good reason. And secondly, if you're going to avoid the branched-chain amino acids, the leucine, isoleucine, and valine, the chief drivers of mTOR, then you'll die because they're <laughs> essential amino acids. They're not called optional amino acids. They're called essential amino acids for a reason. The name kind of gives it away. It's not like... I'll drink them in my drink occasionally, essential amino acids. They're essential amino acids. So you need them. So you're not killing people, you're saving people's lives. So so it's 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 a part of research where mTOR is bad. It's like saying sugar is bad, and it mm. is, but therefore I won't eat an apple because that's got sugar in it. Wrong. You have to be able to apply a judgment on this. And, I mean, no one will say blueberries are bad for you, but it's got sugar in it. So same thing with mTOR or mammalian target of rapamycin complex 1. It depends on the individual if they're excessively stimulating it. And do you know what foods excessively stimulate mTOR? It's not the amino acids. It's milk, cow's milk, and grain products. And I did a talk to dermatologists about five years on the dangers of excessive mTOR in the pathogenesis of acne. And, you know, we gave a talk about that to a whole lot of specialists in that because that's one of the chief drivers of acne as well because if you get the skin growth and you think this is a part of sebaceous unit or a pore in your skin, the mTOR can grow the skin together and you get a buildup of oil here and that bacteria infects that oil called propionine bacteria acne and that causes acne, vulgaris, or, or the acne on your skin. Now, mTOR, it comes out when we go through growth sports and we're supposed to grow as humans. You know, when we're teenagers and we grow and we get the acne, that's because our bodies are naturally growing. But funny enough, that's when our mTOR levels are at their highest. But we get less cancer then. So again, without association, you can't have causation. So this is another tenet of science. So, so yeah, you, you providing a healthy protein diet for people is saving their lives. You're not killing them at all. <laughs> Oh, love that explanation. I also love that, of course, you know, 
what mTOR is off the top of your head. I feel oh. like only you oh, would be no. able to rattle that it's off. It's embarrassing. I'll never be able to pick up the cheeks talking like this, will I? I'll never be able to pick up the cheeks. Oh, I know what mTOR means. Oh, great. See ya. You know, I think I'm married now. I'm married to a nerd, a nursing nerd. So she's kind of nerdy. So she, she puts up with my crap. So, Steve-O, what about collagen? Another question that we get asked a lot when we put up particularly this this particular topic, but also, again, in clinic, um, we use a lot of collagen with our clients and we do get the question, like, people will say, oh, you know, I read that it doesn't really do anything, is this really helping me? Um there's so much out there uh, and there's there's a lot of really great studies on collagen. So I'm sure for for you guys at ATP probably want to beat your head against the wall when you people have, hear people talking about it being a waste of money and it doesn't do anything. But could you speak a little bit to collagen and about that research and why we've got so much and more than enough to show how wonderful collagen is? Oh, it's, it's, it, it, it's a little bit, drives me nuts a little bit, but um, this is a disclosure. I work for ATP Science and the company sells collagen. That's that, mm-hmm. you know, disclosure of interest we yes. talk about in the research. Done. But, it's, but, it's, but Done. what I like to refer to are the studies. Now, just coming to this, um, I, I just picked a meta-analysis on collagen and I picked on something that, that is mildly controversial about the skin because people think collagen doesn't help your skin. Well, this meta-analysis will say otherwise, and a meta-analysis that was done on 26 randomised trials. So they've done 26 randomised trials. Now, how confident were they these with these results is there's a little thing called a p-value. Now, I don't know if many people know what a p-value is, but it's got in in the, in the results got p and it's got a number beside it. Now, to be significant, it's got to be 0.05. So anything less than 0.05 is highly significant. It means it's got a, and it's 95% not by chance. It's only one in 20 chance of having um, um, helping the skin. Now, what we found here is that, that, and I'll read the results. The results showed that hydrolyzed collagen has got to be hydrolyzed, broken down, significantly improves skin hydration, which is the skin. Now, here's the p-value. Ready for this one? Less than 0. 0.00001. So that's an extraordinarily low chance that this is a fluke. So mm-hmm. it's a very, very confident that this helps with skin um, in skin hydration and skin elasticity was the same number as well compared to the placebo group. So they've tested this in a randomized controlled trial with a placebo 26 times and they've come up with this result showing it's great for your skin, hydrolyzed collagen. And the type of collagen is the smaller molecule ones that help your skin. So when people say it does nothing, and it's funny because we did—I don't want to promote my podcast—but we did. We had a guy, a doctor, come out, Doctor Carl Krusinski. Do you oh, guys know him? I remember this. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and he came out saying college is useless, and and he's a medical doctor. He's not trained in nutrition, but he is a physicist like me, so he's he's got a physics background. Again, not trained in nutrition, and he made some incredibly false statements, like there's quote no evidence that this works and i've just read a meta-analysis with 26 randomized controlled trials showing it's brilliant for the skin and he also said that it's a thousand molecules long it's actually 19. Um, he said that it's broken down when you put it in coffee 
It's like, no, no, it breaks down at 300 degrees at the nature's. You can put it up to 300 degrees Celsius. So he made these completely wrong statements. Now, he's a, and I'm going to use the word expert, okay? Mm. He's not an expert in nutrition, but he's an expert. People think he's an expert, and I love him. You know, he's a smart mm. guy. He really is. Mm. But he was speaking out of turn and out of his thing. So we did a podcast showing him being wrong. And we I didn't even use this study in there. There was other better analysis showing it's good for the skin. So, you know, and I think that you've got to remember that collagen is a very rich source of amino acids and protein. So at the very least, people can't say it's nothing because it's full of uh, amino acids. It's got protein in it. So a little bit little bit disingenuous when he says it does nothing, yet there's a meta-analysis of 26 randomised controlled trials showing it's beneficial for your skin. It's a little bit disingenuous to say there's no studies on yeah. it. So that, that, that's a it's bit actually- of a bugbear. Don't you think it's a little bit odd that he, like, I don't know, it's like his Dr. Carl got someone else doing his research on the sides, little minions running around, and that day that person was really hungover and they looked up the wrong thing. I don't know. It's just, it's very strange to be that wrong. <laughs> it was. It was very strange to be that wrong. Uh, not not only like like everyone knows collagen's 19 molecules long. I mean, that's not a secret that's published in the literature. We, we, mm. we, put it, we, we quoted the papers. But I think you're right. I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because mm. we love Dr. Carl. Um, he's yep. great on astronomy and science, and I'm a scientist. I love it. But yep. but this was just, I think it was on the TikTok ABC thing. So, we, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, you know, TikTok, I don't get on too much, you know. Yep. I don't really understand no. it. It's little short videos. I don't understand it. Just all <laughs> I see is girls dancing around in bikinis when I sort of somehow get feeds on my phone with this. Not that I'm complaining. (laughs) That's what happens when you're a male and you use social media. The algorithm instantly is like girls, bikinis, boobs. (laughs) That's that's it. You've just summarised a man in a a nutshell there. But but how how does 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 my phone know that I'm a pervert? I don't look at these things on purpose. I, I, I just... But I am a male, so of course we get a like boobs and bikinis. It's like, but but I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how like, that works. AI is very smart, isn't it? It is. It is. No, it's it's crazy though. Like you, all it well, obviously, you know, it feeds you, <laughs> it feeds you what you look at, Steve. But no, just the fact that it knows yeah. that you're you when you put in your data, and it's like this is a male, this is their birth date. Um, you know, it got, like I just think it just only those small amounts of details. It's like we've got a male of this age, like stereotypically, if yep. we feed him this stuff, then that's what's going to be interesting. To, whereas Chris and I are probably being served more stuff like homewares and like I don't, you know, even the we don't, we're not mums, but we would get that sort of mum stuff. Yeah, right. Oh, really? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I was born in the summer of 69, so maybe the number 69 is, is translated <laughs> on my phone somehow or other, and um, I don't know. I don't understand it. It could be a good name for a song. Write that down. I'm going to write a song with that in the lab. It got a little bit catchy. Yeah. Let me see. I've got my first real six string. I bought it at the five and dime, played it till my fingers bleed. It was the summer of 69. It writes itself. It does. Oh. Look at you. <laughs> well, that's the one. Well, I used to play that song in the band, so you know, many, many years ago. So it's a, it's one I know pretty well, actually. <laughs> so the 
other and last one that came up a lot in regard to being questionable in the health space and what we might be able to find in the research to help understand this more is soaking nuts, seeds, legumes, grains, um, basically with that concept of like breaking them down, making them easier to digest. Again, not only on socials, but in the clinic, we get asked this a lot by clients. Um, The one I was speaking of of recent that sort of kicked this off was making her own almond milk. She's been making her own almond milk for pretty much the whole time I've been working with her. Not a lot of my Mm. clients do this. So I was like, you know, (laughs) thought it was great. She was doing like myself, doing like a batch once a week and freezing it. And But then she saw online, she actually sent me a couple of screenshots and I swear my blood boiled (laughs) into dangerous levels where it was telling her that, Eating nuts and seeds in general is is very bad. Like even making your own almond milk, like you. So it was sort of like at next level. Um, it was you just wouldn't believe it. And and this person in their bio said that they were a doctor, by the way, as well. <laughs> like saying about heating, about blending the nuts and nuts being exposed to a potentially a certain amount of chemicals and then when you blend them and heat them that little bit of heat oh. that's happening is going to oxidize the oils in the nuts so you're basically drinking poison like and I'm this is a sort of language too like it was so inflammatory the language Charisma so my client had no joke it had been like oh. a couple of weeks and she had not made almond milk she was petrified she was drinking poison so oh that sort of kicked this off but in a more gentler <laughs> Uh, sort of framework a lot of people oh I'll tell you what I have to send it to you maybe we'll include it in the (laughs) (laughs) it's dropped but yeah soaking nuts seeds legumes grains like what what do we sort of see in the research that people need to take on board when they're considering whether this is appropriate well, I try to. I try. I always try and play the devil's advocate, and I always try and mm-hmm. look for something bad about soaking nuts and all that sort of stuff. And and I've got a paper here called um, about on soaking nuts in the Journal of Food Protection. So the only bad thing I found um, was that certainly soaking like seeds and all those sort of things and grains and that sort of thing are highly beneficial because the phytic acid, which is an acid that binds with certain cation minerals like zinc and magnesium is drawn out of it, which is a good thing. Soaking almonds is great. It doesn't have any adverse effects on anything. The only time it does, and that's why I tried to look for the bad thing, is that if you soak nuts, and you're going to love this one, at 23 degrees or higher, (laughs) above eight hours, then that can grow some pathogens in the water. And that's the worst I found. And I don't know who's going to, unless you... Unless you get nuts and put them in a hot room and leave them all day, <laughs> um, then that's gonna maybe cause a problem with salmonella. It, it, it's like anything, anything cold water, or you put them in the fridge, totally fine. That's the only bad thing I could find about them. So it depends on how you're soaking your nuts, um, and and if you snow, soak them badly, I don't know. This is getting downhill here. Okay, what I say here, but if you soak your nuts incorrectly. Carissa, stop thinking about. <laughs> Carissa's gone. She's gone. She's gone. She's gone at the I'm start. talking about nuts. So. <laughs> and, and I was look. I was going to tell a story about when I soaked my nuts, but I can't now. Carissa's lost it. 
I feel like you've already told it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, you just got to soak your nuts in cold water. That's all you got to do, Carissa. All right? Ice baths. Ice baths for the nuts. (laughs) Well, that'll stop everything growing. I'll tell you, everything will shrink then. Yeah. That's great. But, like, even the chair, even if you soak them, like, overnight in a warm temperature which I can tell you I've certainly done living in Brisbane or like places like that it as you just like if if there is a potential pathogen around that is able to get in and breed in that water like it's just it's so far fetched but it's this is the stuff like that's such a great study because like you've dug to try and find something and like that's that yeah and that's sort of what we can come up with but again it's like that's the stuff that these people will find and then use on social media to get attention and to get a lot of like likes and people interacting mm. and suddenly people are freaking out about oh my god I soak almonds oh my god I'm gonna give myself salmonella yeah, yeah, exactly. You're gonna to have to do it. You're gonna to have to get it contaminated to start with the salmonella. So that's yep. a, that's a trick. Salmonella doesn't live with nuts. You know, Maybe it's, you it doesn't, doesn't soak soak it with some chicken, a bit of raw chicken. Yeah, raw chicken. <laughs> like, if you, yeah, if you that. Yeah, if you soaked it with raw chicken, that is contaminated. In uh, tropical look, North it's, Queensland. It's just, yeah, and uh, but here's the weird thing. People don't want to drink this, these, you know, things, things, and they'll go and drink cow's milk because, you know, you talked about mTOR before. There's a chemical in milk called insulin-like growth factor one, which is a known carcinogen. And so, you know, it's way better than drinking cow's milk from any point of view. So, I, as I said, I, and I tried to pick the bad stuff. I tried to, mm. you know, think because putting nuts in water, what's the big whoopsie doo da? Couldn't do anything. What, 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 do, what do they think is going to happen? It's going to blow up, you know? <laughs> know. And, and the problem with it is it turns people off eating healthy nuts and seeds. Exactly, and, exactly. And that's the whole problem with it. It's like yeah. they're, they're throwing what they call the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing yeah, with like all of your yes. pulses. Baby so bath true. Water could be. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's, there's nothing wrong with soaking, you know? Yeah. And that's it. Like the soaking, as you said, like there's – there it makes them if we break down those phytates and it can be really beneficial but then we would see very commonly in clinic and on I'm definitely falling into this category myself there is many people who don't actually need to do it like yes it can break those phytates down and um, help with the digestion and help with these um with the minerals that you mentioned but essentially also like does every single person need to do this or if i don't do it i'm going to be in digestive strife and i won't absorb any minerals like i feel like that's where it's been taken and pushed to the extreme so like i don't think there's either any there's research from what you're saying to show yes it can be beneficial but there's no research to say that if we don't do it we're gonna die <laughs> no 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 there's nothing like it. people get bogged down with nutrition in the minutiae of things and they don't look at the big picture like your mtor story 
you know, oh, you're going to cut out the essential amino acids because that's that's a dumb that's a dumb answer. You'll you'll get sick and die if mm. you just start eliminating amino acids out of your diet, especially the essential ones. So there's no option. You've got to have the essential amino acids, and and because they're essential, you know, yeah. it's uh it's not not rocket science. And yes, it does drive up mTOR, but because of your body's been consuming these amino acids for millions of years, humans have, we we don't get cancer from consuming foods that are essential for us. You know, it's, you, you got to look at the big picture of, of a healthy diet, whatever, whether it's paleo or whatever, as long as it's a whole food diet, you're going to do pretty well. But goodness me, don't cut out nuts from your diet, soak nuts or otherwise. If you yeah. We did a podcast on nuts. So I think it's going to come out tonight or something. I don't know when. I don't look at that stuff. But it, it just showed the immense health benefits of eating um, nuts. Incredible. That's there. Exactly. And that's... Again, the problem with, yeah, this sort of fear-mongering. I was going to see if I could find find that post for you guys while we were talking um, as far sure. as like on the nuts, but unfortunately I can't find it. might have to send it to you later because it's, it's definitely <laughs> pretty inflammatory. Um, oh. Was there anything else, Steve-O, that you wanted to cover in relation to obviously the, we've just covered those three topics, but... Again, like overall, as far as the research goes, like you've mentioned a few really helpful tips along the way for people consuming mm. research or looking online for the average person. Yeah, anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, actually, there is one thing. And, and, and you know, on our pyramid of hierarchical thing, right at the very bottom there is expert opinion. So <laughs> that's the lowest form of evidence. And that says background information and expert opinion. So if this person is an expert, question them. If, if someone comes out to say soaking nuts kills your causes, whatever, you, 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 don't, you don't send it off to your naturopath. Send it back to them and say provide the evidence to support your claims. Because if I make a claim that collagen is good for your skin and they say, oh, prove it, and I'll say, well, here's the study showing that it does. And so that's what they should do when they make claims. So question the person making the claim about that particular nuts or whatever it is, ask them to provide because then they'll go, oh, there is none. It's just a feeling I've had. And and secondly, don't yes. believe experts. Expert opinion's fine, um, but unless it's like a one-on-one -on -one like you guys, if someone writes an article, it's it, and you think it's from an expert, it may not be like a classic one is someone writes doctor such and such writes about, and I see it on my phone. Another stupid thing goes on my food. Top cardiologist gives you the top 10 nutrition tips to live. You know what cardiologists know about? Cardiology. They know nothing about nutrition. I've trained a few. They don't know nutrition. So why do people think you're an expert in the heart, therefore you know about my diet? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So be careful about the experts you listen to, and especially as with the age of social media, people write all sorts of things on there that's not true. Yep. Yep. Love it. Bloody love it, Steve-O. <laughs> well, I hope our listeners have enjoyed this. I know I certainly have. Uh, do you want to let our listeners know, Steve-O, where they can find you um, and or ATP just in case they're like, sure. this guy's amazing. I want to know more. Oh, um, well, look, just Google ATP projects. I know it comes up mm -hmm. then. So yep. yeah, we've done, I think, 400 podcasts now. We're up to our 400. Can you believe it? Yeah, that's um, pretty that epic. And and you can look through them and there's all different topics and we've had you guys on before, mm -hmm. which is great. We've got to have you guys on again because 
you know, it, 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 it's really fun because we just talk about research. Today, we talked about the microbiome uh, in athletes. So we're not talking about our products. We didn't mention a product because we just talk about, you know, what's topical. And so that's what we talked about in the podcast recorded today. Uh, yesterday, we did a podcast on shilajit, which is a black-brown ooze that oozes out of sedentary rocks in the Himalayas that somehow someone decided was good for you and tasted it. And it tastes like dog shit if you've ever tried it. It's the worst tasting thing on the planet. It's is that, do people use that as a binder off the top of my head? Is it spelled oh, C-H? It. C-H? Um, How do you no, know? It, 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 it's a great substance for boosting testosterone in men. Oh, helping okay. It's not what men. I'm thinking it is then. Yeah, it's a weird substance. Yeah. Very weird substance. Women use it particularly. They're very strong in women because it's very good for their skin good for their bones and good for their sex lives. Please don't ask me to elaborate on that because we go to it, you know, Barrett, luckily we had a lady that's right there because mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's one of the only agents that can increase orgasms in women. Really? Yeah. Cool. I'm looking forward to this podcast. I'm actually really looking forward to your, um, <laughs> every woman, every woman listening will want to listen. You've just like had all of them just go follow to the ATP science podcast but <laughs> I'm personally also that. interested in that microbiome one yeah yeah the microbiome one who gives a shit about that no it's I want to listen to that one <laughs> I'm yeah, so cool. like that site yeah the one around the athletes and the microbiome I'm like really heavily going down my own personal um sort of rabbit hole with all of that at the moment so I'm pretty excited to hear what you guys have got to say about that not, not the one about the other one about Chilizit. Yeah, both. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chilizit, it's, I, I just don't know how someone decided this oozing stuff from rocks in the Himalayas would be good for you. But somebody did. It's got 84 minerals in it. It's one of the most mineral-rich substances known to mankind. And it's absolutely miraculous for men and women and their sexual health. So interesting. Like you said, how yeah, people, it's, I guess that's, it's like in general though, isn't it? Herbs and things in nature. It's like at some point someone had to take the risk and go, I'm going to try this. <laughs> I'm going to like give this a go and see what this does. And then you think about the people that just got I, it wrong and just took poison mushrooms. and died. How many There's like a lot of talk about dying mushrooms. today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How many people died of mushrooms to bring a psilocybin, which is a great To bring a, to bring um, a psilocybin. That, yeah. God well, bless those people. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely. Thank you for your death. But, like, even the white stuff that comes out of a cow's udder, I'm going to drink it. You know, you can imagine that nut job who did that. Or, or tiger's penis. Why do they eat that? Who thought that was a good idea? Yeah, right. <laughs> There's oh, so many things at like that very first time. Oh, imagine it. Oh, boy. But it was, it was fun. So, yeah, that's our podcast. Sorry. Yeah, that's our ATP project. <laughs> no, fantastic. I, again, I think you've just had like a, a, an extra couple of thousand subscribers just on the promise of um, better orgasms. So, <laughs> it does. It works. It engorges the corpus cavallosum. Sorry to get graphic, but it does. And that's in men and women, if you know what I mean. So it's good How's for the boys spelled? downstairs. Do you know oh, off the top of your head? C O R Corpus 
Cavalosum. Oh, God. Okay. You All can right, Google yeah. it tonight when you're away from everyone not looking okay. because you'll get some graphic pictures come up. Very graphic. <laughs> we couldn't use them in the podcast graphic. I said to the, the video guy, can we use these? No, no, no. That's going to break our rating. Um, we can't have pictures of male and female anatomy on the screen, you know. Engorged. With engorged corpus cavalosum. <laughs> Yeah, blacklisted. We'd be kicked off and all this stuff. So we couldn't even graphically show what it did. Well, that's a shame. Maybe you could do diagrams or pictures instead, <laughs> like little cartoons. Oh, it's embarrassing. I, I don't like talking about that stuff on a podcast, especially male stuff. It's like, ugh. you know, I don't know. It's not like talking about it. It's a bit of heebie jeebie. But it works and, and it really is good stuff. But it, it does boost testosterone, great for women's um, skin, good for collagen, increases yeah. hydroxyproline, so it's great for toning up. It, it, it's uncoupling protein, so in other words, it activates uncoupling protein, so it helps with fat loss. It's a great yeah. agent to get into. Is it about, look, we've totally gone into your podcast now. We're like, can <laughs> yes. steal this from under? <laughs> I'm oh, just curious, like, is yeah, it available well, for people just, like, if they are listening, like, is this something now that people can go and purchase as a supplement uh, or is it as a liquid herb? Jess oh, is like asking for a friend. <laughs> it is. It is. I, 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 can't, I, I, I can't say that. Yeah, 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 true. So I'm not cheeky. But, um, look, it is It is in, um, and I can't say which one because I don't, don't want to do any names, but it is. We ah, sell it and, okay. and it's sold throughout health food stores. It's an Ayurvedic medicine, an old one, so any Ayurvedic medicines. But it's a really good one, really It's been good around one. for a while then. Oh, it's been around 3,000 years, really. But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're, we've been selling it for 10. Wow, okay. Yeah, I'm going to suss that. I'm just curious because I haven't heard of it. And I'm also mm. – I have a naturopath friend who's been in the industry since I was. We graduated together and she's she's always been heavily into the sort of, um, I guess, libido space for clients. Like she's bought out some tonics that she's selling now online that are very – sort of um well they're individualized but they're kind of like made as his and her formulas and she's always been like right into any of those real libido firing up herbs so i'm just i'm surprised that i haven't heard her talk about it but maybe that's because she's a liquid herbalist and she's using like all your i don't like your shatavaris and those sorts of herbs and all the sort of traditional ones you think of from that model but yeah, I feel like I want to talk to her and just go, did you know about this? Why aren't you using this? <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, it, probably because liquid, it, it tastes like ass. It's that bad. Yeah. It is disgusting. Yeah. You know, I've, most, I've tried it straight here. Most don't taste great. Make oh, this one. But it's a great herb to take, so, so it's something. But that, that, that's what we recorded yesterday, so. You know, these are the sort of podcasts we do, so it's interesting. But um, yeah, yeah, we also we also did one on creatine, not not for the muscles, but for other parts of the body. And it just looked at the last six months of research on creatine monohydrate. So it's very good for your dementia, your brain, and all sorts of other stuff. It's having its heyday again, isn't it? Like obviously, it's been so yeah. studied for performance. But, yeah, I think it's just getting a really sort of great second round about how beneficial it is in overall health and well-being. Wonderful stuff. I need it because I'm getting old. Yeah, I need to start taking it. I haven't been taking it. (laughs) I'm taking it right now. That's um, that's a a creatine mix. 
No, no shillings it's in there, I promise. I promise. <laughs> All right, Steve, well, we're going to let you go. Yeah, thank you. you <laughs> so, so much for today, as always. Um, it's been Sorry, it's really... great at the end, still is it? Oh, no, it's great. It's great. We'll just edit it out. <laughs> no, you're joking. <laughs> um, no, it's been awesome. Really, really awesome. And I'm sure listeners will get a lot out of it. Um, we'll definitely be posting up the video to go along. Uh, we'll, I will get a copy of that table that you've got there too, that pyramid. I think yeah. it's great for people. I'll send it to um, yeah, that'd be amazing. Uh, and then, as always, guys, if you have any questions or queries, you can let us know directly through our socials. Um, you can get in contact with Steve-O through ATP Science. Um, but we'd love you, as always, to share the podcast because it helps people find the podcast and enjoy this great content. But otherwise, thanks a lot, and we'll see you later. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, Chris. Bye, Jess. Bye. Bye.